Welcome to AV Plus, the podcast from Commercial Integrator. I'm Adam Forziati, Senior Web Editor here at CI. If you're an AV integrator who doesn't do any outdoor installations, you may be doing yourself a disservice. And if you are, you're probably tired of thinking about it with all these heat waves in the forecast recently. But no matter what your situation is, we thought the timing was right to rerun an episode from last summer where we spoke to two outdoor AV specialists about outdoor display trends and how to find quality outdoor audio products. The first discussion of signage features Alan Braun, one of the premier signage experts and a longtime consultant and AV educator. The second conversation stars our very own Bob Archer, resident audio expert. But first, let's hear about this week's AV News to Know. NVENTU is overhauling its workforce development program in time for the fall session. It's a move designed to give students more of what they want and need to be able to pursue careers in audio, video, lighting, and other professions. And VentU project manager Lauren Reed has spearheaded the transformation of the curriculum, saying she worked with a VIX of staff members to understand the concepts and equipment students will be hearing about and using during their time in that program, whether in the spring or fall. NSDA has updated its Electronic Systems Outlook report for summer 2020, including construction outlook information based on actual data from Q1 and Q2 of 2020, as well as forecast outlooks for the remainder of 2020, 2021, and beyond. Overall, the forecast for the 2020 construction put in place calls for a 9% decrease this year in comparison to the 0% growth rate of 2019. So for more information on any of these or any of our other stories, visit our website, commercialintegrator.com. Radio voice over, now let's get back to the show. Can you talk to us a little bit today about some of the challenges that uh, the integrators face with, with outdoor signage? And uh, maybe if you can run down some, some current trends, I would appreciate it. I don't think that there would be anyone that would disagree with me when I stated that the hottest topic uh, in, uh, in outdoor is direct view LED. Uh, and and I've, if people who went to Infocom, they saw, you know, 70 or 80 different vendors. And it's like this tsunami of being uh, of being inundated with all these incredible direct view LED uh, LED images. And so I, I guess the first thing that, that we need to discuss is, you know, what are the challenges? You know, what are the pros and what are the cons? And what are some of the challenges? Well, I'm not going to go into the, the classic, uh, uh, what I call the Alan Braun core dump on, on uh, uh, direct view LED, but, but I think we can mention a few things for our listeners that, that I think will be important to them. Uh, first of all, you know, if we talk about pros, obviously, uh, no need to, to belabor the point. It's brightness, it's color saturation, high contrast, plus they're seamless. Enough said. They are beautiful displays. And anybody that went to Infocom or anybody that's gone to some of these regional events and they take a look at direct view LED, especially some of the fine pitch stuff at the proper viewing distance, it's just freaking incredible. No doubt about it. And I'm a projector guy that has become a flat panel guy over the years, although I must confess I still love projection. But you can't deny the pros uh, of brightness, color, saturation, contrast, and seamless. But there are some cons, man. There, there's some downsides to this, right? Right. Uh, the, and, the, and it, the, although that brightness has to come at a price. Well, yes, uh, it, it, and we're going to get there. 
But but let me tell you the first thing that a commercial integration um, um, company needs to do is they need to specify this. Well, uh, we've got a kind of a hiccup in the giddy up, as my friends down uh, down in Texas might say, um, and, and and it's got to do with resolution. We're typically involved with like 1080p and 4K, and yeah, I've seen the demos of 8K. Do we need it? Not yet, but it's on the horizon. So we typically deal with those kind of resolutions. Well, they don't port over directly to the pixel density of, um, uh, of, of a size of panel. For example, you might have a 1080p or a 4K 55-inch or 65 or 82 or 90-inch uh, direct uh, LCD panel, but, but you don't have an 80-inch 1080p and a 65-inch 4K that's correlating directly to outdoor uh, direct view LED. So that's that's an issue is is understanding the resolution requirements. The second issue is and this is a big one. I mean, it's a great big one. Is pixel density of viewing distance. Uh, everybody who's listening to this is going to understand that the, the 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 tighter pixel densities, the smaller pixel densities, when you get below below two millimeter, the prices go up exponentially. You get four millimeter, six millimeter, eight millimeter, ten millimeter, and the prices are very reasonable. But the problem is, at what distance can you view those panels? And so people need to understand pixel density and viewing distance. And then, of course, last but not least, from an integration point of view, we end up with mounting. There's no VESA mount like we've got on LCD. There's no VESA mount uh, on a typical direct view LED. So we've got basically resolution requirements to take into consideration. We've got pixel density and viewing distance, and we've got mounting. Now we come to your favorite topic, Adam prices. <laughs> I wouldn't call it my favorite, but I know that it's definitely something we have to cover, isn't it? Well, I, I, I don't think there, if, if we didn't cover it, uh, people would be sending letters to the editor after we got done <laughs> with this uh, conversation saying, well, what about prices? Well, okay, prices relate to kind of the, the, the next issue, and that's quality. And I, I like to talk about quality of these things is all over the place. At the 30,000-foot level, using uh, an airplane metaphor, at the 30,000-foot altitude level, um, uh, you know, a, uh, the prices correlate directly to the smaller pixel, uh, pixel pitch or dot pitch of direct view LED. So, as I said before, kind of the sweet spot in direct view LED is a, a two, two-and-a-half millimeter uh, panel. And then when you get below that, prices go up exponentially. And when you are anywhere from two and a half to four millimeter or six millimeter, then prices moderate. But the price issue directly correlates to a, a real hot button for me, and that's the quality of the of the uh, of the direct view LED. Now you might have had 60, 70, 80. I don't know. Somebody said there were a hundred uh, people who were actually presenting direct view LED at Infocom. I, I don't know that that number is accurate, but I know there were over 50 people as there were um, as there were last year uh, or in 2018, I should say. So we got all these vendors, and so and you've got all these pricing at prices, and you've got all of these people that you get these emails every day from companies you've never heard of out of China that says, oh boy, we're gonna be the best price and, and all of this. Well, I'm gonna give the, the caveat emptor, right? The old buyer beware notice here. It all relates to a couple of things. It relates to quality. There's a huge difference in manufacturing tolerances between one manufacturer and another, and by the way, even some of the big name companies that we're familiar with, they OEM their products out of China, Shenzhen, China specifically. 
and and I did some research. You'll like this one, Adam. I did some research uh, uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, and there were a thousand companies in China at that point that were claiming they were a direct view uh, LED provider. They were making displays. So if we separate the wheat from the chaff, uh, uh, I, I do some obviously research work that you're familiar with. There may be a hundred companies that I would call legitimate companies out of that 1,000. And, and, and what's the difference? Well, it's manufacturing tolerances. Are they ISO 9000 certified? Do they have continuous uh, measurable improvement? Uh, or, or, or all of these sorts of things. But something a lot of people don't think about is the differences in the core LED themselves. And this is a big swinger relating back to Adam's favorite or least favorite topic, whichever it is, pricing. There are about six to eight different grades of core LED, the individual core LED component um, of providers, manufacturers. And there are five or six companies that manufacture these. But if somebody gets this outstandingly great price on a, uh, on a DirectView LED, you have to check the quality of the DirectView LED core component. Is it a Cree? Is it a Nichia? And there are like five or six brands that stand out as high quality. But even in those brands, they have different levels of quality. So if you get this outstanding price and somebody says, oh, yeah, let's just uh, let's go ahead and take this low price bid, uh, you might very well be getting an inferior core LED. And people either don't know to check that or they ignore it entirely because they're blinded by this extraordinarily low price. So, so prices and quality really matter. But the, the last two points I'll, I'll make about this particular topic is that, is that when you're looking to a vendor, and, and we published on Commercial Integrator, I think about eight or nine months ago, um, you know, how to take a look at a direct view LED vendor. And, and my admonition in that article was, You've got to have USA application engineering support based here in the United States. You've got to have USA-based service, and you have to have the availability of parts in the United States. If you don't have that, no matter how fast the jet is, no matter how big the boat is, if you don't have it here, application engineering service and parts, then I would run, not walk away from that prospective vendor. Because in AV in general, as our listeners know, it's not if, but when you have a problem, and how you take care of that problem will determine the success or failure of your relationship with that particular client. So, so that's really you know, one of my big caveats. And I'll end this diatribe, if you will, uh, with, with something I did some research on, and, and I must admit that, that I, I was just tangentially aware of this, and it's called it's FCC compliance. FCC compliance. Um, it, it's an interesting thing in that you can, as a manufacturer, you can claim FCC compliance and put an FCC label on it without actually going through all the steps of FCC compliance uh, out of in, in China. Uh, or if it was manufactured in the United States, it's the same thing. Or in Europe, it's the same thing. You've got to have FCC compliance. Ultimately, this, this relates back to the emissions of the direct view LED and does it cause interference in other uh, electrical component, uh, components, uh, EMI, if you will, electromagnetic interference. So if you get a poorly made system and you put up this great big screen outside and then all of the uh, offices around there, their Wi-Fi is disrupted and all kinds of electric, electromagnetic uh, impulses are interrupting um, you know, the, uh, wireless service in the area, 
That's a no-no. And a lot of these companies claim they have FCC compliance, but they don't. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. The hottest topic, direct view LED, but you got the pros, you got the cons, you got some quality issues, but you better have USA application engineering service and parts, and you better make sure that whatever vendor you select has true FCC compliance. Well, Alan, I know that you had mentioned before that you your heart is still you know, a little bit torn. You still have a soft spot for projection, but we are not. Uh, we haven't exhausted this topic when it comes to uh, display options. I mean, LCD is next to that, right? So, uh, can you tell us a little bit about LCD and 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 where where that part of the industry is going right now? Yeah, that's actually a that's actually a, a cool topic. The the issue with LCD and and I started in the flat panel industry back at the turn of the century, low these many uh, these many uh, years ago, uh, and all we had was plasma, right? Plasma came in the uh, actually was first introduced in the 1990s, but really came into fruition, uh, you know, at the turn of the century, and it lasted a little while. And then we have evolved into liquid crystal displays, and we've all seen uh, that uh, migrate from you know 720p uh, resolution to 1080p resolution to a 4K resolution and now 8K resolution. Uh, but but mostly the LCD has been um, you know either these little small displays in kiosks or things like that, or indoor displays in boardrooms, conference rooms, and training rooms. And I think it's fair to say, no matter how much I love projectors, I think it's fair to say that a lot of the larger uh, indoor LCDs have taken the place of projection in classrooms and in, in corporations. There are still some reasons that projectors uh, went out, but, but LCD has been an indoor technology until probably the last couple of years, but it's really raised its profile in the last year or maybe two years uh, in their outdoor, and, and they even have some semi-outdoor displays. An interesting statistic on um, on uh, uh, LCD displays uh, outdoors is that 70%, check this one, Adam, 70% of QSR business comes via their outdoor drive-throughs. And if you take digital signages writ large, uh, digital signage retail and the QSR business and food services in general, that whole genre, uh, those whole vertical market segments of digital signage, collectively, it ends up being like 45 to 50% of all of digital signage if you separate QSR uh, and retail, retail being you know 25, 30%, QSR being 20% or so. So, I mean, it's approximately 50%, and 70% of QSR comes through uh, outdoors. So, imagine now the effect of these outdoor displays on uh, QSR drive-throughs, but, but it really doesn't stop there. Any of these outdoor um, venues, whether it could be a theme park, it could be uh, casinos, it could be uh, any number of, of outdoor applications, uh, if you don't need a direct view LED, great big sign and all of that, just imagine the ability to have um, these displays, and they come in a variety of sizes. Typically, uh, they come in smaller sizes, of course, but but they come in typically 43 to 55 inch. I think there are a couple of manufacturers that do 65 inch, but they're all they're all um, IP rated, ingress protected ratings, which is for moisture and dust, uh, and and they can have touch screens or not have touch screens. And they're environmentally sensitive, so they can take uh, extra higher temperatures and lower temperatures. Uh, and they're IP rated, and many of them have, um, you know, protective uh, enclosures. And and if they don't have a protective enclosure themselves, then you can put them in an enclosure. So just 
again, step outside of your your um, your your box of comfort, if you will, uh, in the in the commercial integration community, and say, wait a minute, where can I use an outdoor uh, LCD display? And all of a sudden, it gets you out of that boardroom, conference room, training room niche that is continuing to to be more commoditized. This is just another opportunity where, frankly, the commercial integration community can shine. Alan, I, I appreciate your time today. I appreciate the conversation as always, Adam. You have a good rest of your summer. And uh, if anybody wants any more information on these topics, I'm sure that they know how to contact you and uh, we can certainly get them some more information uh, from the team at Commercial Integrator. Okay, Bob, uh, you are probably the most knowledgeable person I know when it comes to audio. And I just, I wanted to come to you because there are many numbers that we're seeing in terms of our yearly research and, and what other uh, people are telling us that suggest that there are a lot more outdoor installation uh, types of, of, of of jobs available to integrators or, you know, involved involving integrators right now uh, than in previous years. And I mean, what a summer to uh, to have that be the case during with with this heat, but when it comes to finding quality audio solutions for for these types of uh, these outdoor installations in general, what are your thoughts on what integrators can do to keep an eye out for for better outdoor audio solutions? About I, I think the first thing that that dealers any type of dealer ought to do is try to research the company as thoroughly as possible. You know, these days we have the benefit of this thing called the internet. There's plenty of information on the internet about companies. Talk to your peers, talk to fellow dealers and find out what they're using and why they're using the products. Find out their experiences with them. Sometimes, uh, and, and I'll say this to a lot of people, that talking to dealers, uh, in this case, it would be dealer to dealer. So it would be a peer thing. Um, you get the real scoop on whether a product, a company is good or bad because they, they deal with these companies in a different way. No disrespect to what you and I do, Adam, as, as media guys, but we see these companies in a different way or a different light than how the dealers would be seeing them. The dealers are on the street level and talking to your peers to investigate a particular brand, product, company, uh, whatever I think is probably the most thorough way. You start you start talking to three, four, five dealers, and you can quickly you know get a kind of assessment of a company and whether it's it's a company worth partnering with because ultimately that's what it's all about partnering with these vendor vendor companies. To your to your point, Bob, you were talking there about how we as media people see these companies a bit differently. But that's part of the reason why I wanted to come to you, actually, because, you know, you have a lot of experience putting uh, or installing, I should say, the, the, these pieces of technology uh, in your own home. And, and you have technical knowledge that not too many media people uh, have. So in terms of if you were to think about this in, in terms of like installing a project in your own home, and I know that our audience is mostly commercial uh, grade uh, installations, but I think sort of similar lessons can be drawn from either end of the, the resi versus commercial spectrum. If you were to install or looking for a piece of audio equipment to install in your own home, what types of things, when you go online and you do that kind of research that you talked about, what kind of things really jump out at you and, and, and say, oh, okay, this is, this is a, 
a solution I should really consider? The history of the company. If, if a company, um, and since we're talking home and, and, and residential, uh, I'll, I'll point out a company um, like Bryston. Bryston makes high-performance amplifiers um, that I really like. I have them in my home, my own uh, audio system. Bryston's been around since the 60s. Um, in the pro world, they happen to have a presence too. They're in many recording studios, famous people, um, Prince, Brian May, uh, you know, a number of people have used their products in uh, recording studio environments. Um, I, I like the company because they make robust products. They, they, they carry a 20-year unequivocal warranty, meaning I could give you my amplifier and that whatever's left in terms of years on that amplifier, you get left over. So if there's 10 years left on that amp, you get a 10-year warranty when you get that amplifier. So a company like that really stands behind its products. And I think ultimately, whether it, it, it's the resi market or commercial market, which this podcast focuses on, uh, the big thing to me beyond performance, because by and large, I think the industry, both both markets make a number of wonderful products, uh, some killer, killer products. What, what separates the good from the great products is the support that dealers give uh, or get from their, their vendor partners, their manufacturer partners. So um, if a company like Bryston supports its products with a 20-year warranty and you pick up the phone and say, hey, I got a problem, and they say, okay, that's fine, pack it up and send it to our, our repair facility in Vermont, that that's all I need to hear because there's no perfect product out there. There are times where dealers will need that support from these companies, from these manufacturers. And if they're getting it and it's good, quick, uh, helpful help, that that can make, uh, make the difference between an install uh, going successfully and an install failing. The last thing that dealers in either market, resi or, or commercial, want is an upset client because uh, the dealer wasn't able to make the deadline. And um, getting that support is a critical element to meeting these deadlines. And so, you know, you, you've been really combing the depths of the, the audio product universe for, for many years at this point, Bob. Do you have any highlights, any, any companies or specific products in general for outdoor installations that you think would be worthy of highlighting? Yeah, yeah, I've, uh, I, I have a, several, um, but calling out a few of them, um, you, you know, we're based here in, in the greater Boston area, and I live north of the city. Uh, one of my favorite trips to make is a drive up 95, cut through the, uh, the scenic uh, 95 coastline there, and uh, head up to Terra Speakers up in uh, Maine. They're literally a stone's throw from L.L. Bean. Uh, Terra Speakers makes a number of fantastic outdoor audio products. Everything is built there in their main facility. Um, they use as many local uh, resources as possible, so silk screening, um, raw goods, whatever they can get from the local main economy, they grab from uh, local main companies. And um, one of the, the, the products I'll call out here is uh, they have this bundled speaker package. It's called the TR60. It, it includes a half dozen of their TR60 70-volt speakers. It includes one subwoofer, 
uh, along with a crown amplifier, and it's designed to cover 1,800 square feet of space. So dealers can set up the uh, the six TR60 70 volt speakers around a property and uh, place to sub, uh, connect everything to the the crown amplifier, which they've made it to that speaker system. So it's not them randomly picking an amplifier. Uh, what I like about Terra is because it's it's literally a handful of guys up in Maine. Um, they can also do a number of custom things for you. So if a dealer needs, you know, 60 of these TR60 speakers, they can produce an order and get that out to them. If they need a certain color, they can do that. Um, Terror is very flexible. And I, I've always found this interesting about them. It they, they test their products in the winter by literally placing them outside their doorstep. We, we up here in the Northeast know how brutal the main winters can be. And um, they put the speakers outdoors, uh, it, uh, uh, you know, literally the testament to, to see how they weather the, 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 main, uh, the main winters. On the other side of things, I, I can remember a number of years ago, I wrote this story about Terra where um, I talked to a dealer and the dealer had installed, this was a resi dealer. He had installed some speakers for an outdoor audio install next to the LA forest, if I remember correctly. Well, there was a fire, literally the only thing that withstood the fire in the L.A. forest in this property that was next to uh, the forest was the Terra speaker on the spike. It still worked after the fire. So it's it's real stuff. It sounds good. And uh, it can take everything from the brutal main winters to the extreme heat of a forest fire and still play ACDC without any compromise. I mean, talk about a highway to hell if it was still yeah. fire. Um, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, what uh, what else would you recommend in terms of uh, companies that are just really well known for what they can offer integrators? Um, a couple of other companies that come to mind are uh, a company I've worked with over the past few years is um, Ambersonic Systems. They make a number of um, they're almost like line array type speakers, but they designed them for outdoor applications. You can use them indoors too for houses of worship and um, other similar environments, uh, auditoriums and whatnot. But they have this product. It's called the twelve, the Model Twelve BP Dash IGE Seventy V, and um, it provides a frequency response of 34 hertz to 140 hertz and SPL capabilities of over 120 dB with peaks coming up near 130 dB. Um, they use their own custom-built Tordial bass transformer, and th they're another product line that can withstand the harshest of winters. A few years ago, I reviewed one of their products and literally before snowstorm, a blizzard we had, I stuck the speaker in my backyard and had to wait to the spring for it to melt out. And then I played it after it had melted out and it still worked uh, as well as um, the first time I had ever heard it. Uh, they're a robust company and they are something worth looking at too in terms of outdoor speakers. Um, if you if if you want me to keep going, I can do that too. Um, another New England company is Nair Speakers. Now, uh, CI readers may recall that Adam, you recently posted a uh, contributed article from Nair Speakers to, uh, 
to uh, CI's sister book, CE Pro, and you grabbed it for CI because it had a, le- a lot of relevant topics or uh, uh, relevant information based on uh, how to use DSPs and um, specifically um, limiters and compressors and how to, how to use them to manipulate sound to, to short even coverage in outdoor spaces. Um, Near makes a number of packages, including complete bundled systems. They make uh, standalone in-ground, uh, above-ground um, subwoofers. They make a variety of po- uh, components, and they bring a wealth of knowledge to um, the outdoor space. And if you don't believe me, just look at the article that that was posted on the CI website. There's a lot of great information, and it's real, real stuff, too. It's not... It's it, it's not hype. It's not marketing. It's it's real stuff. Um, uh, would you like a couple more, Adam? I'd, I'd be lo- I'd love to hear just a, a couple more. Just you know whatever you think really separates uh, one or two more products from the market. Okay, um, I'll give you a couple more. Uh, this company uh, is fairly new to me, but I love their enthusiasm. Uh, they're a company called Coastal Source. And they do some unique things in terms of they combine outdoor lighting with um, loudspeakers. They also offer standalone lighting, which is another topic, but it's related to what we're talking about. So outdoor lighting, outdoor speaker systems. Um, uh, They recently brought to market a a technology that's kind of been used. It's, It's very similar to the cardioid technology that, you know, the sound reinforcements uh, systems use, uh, where you use multiple subwoofers to basically help cancel out um, noise that, or, or low frequencies that are away from the targeted listening area. Well, they're bringing something to that, to the outdoor space where you're not having to use big line arrays or massive subwoofers or whatever. And uh, it's something worth investigating too. And on top of that, you know, you get you get their lighting expertise too. So if you want to add lighting to your portfolio, if you're a commercial dealer and you want to bring lighting now to a spaces, there, there are a lot of revenue opportunities in outdoor lighting too. Um, what, one final outdoor speed, uh, speaker category that I'd like to bring up too is rock speakers. Now, these rock speakers are what the name implies. They're, they're speakers designed to look like rocks and you can put them out on the landscape and uh, one of the, the longest running companies offering these type of products is the MSE audio brand, Rockoustics. Uh, they, they have a number of different sizes in terms of the, the, the physical size of the speaker. Uh, they have a number of different colors because, you know, different parts of the country have different colored landscapes. Up here in the Northeast, we have a lot of granite and gray type of rocks. While in the Southwest, they have a lot of sandstone colored rocks and redder color. So they they have those colors to, to help these speakers integrate into these landscape environments. They also offer 70-volt option, too. So integrators can use these products in bigger systems and not combined to the limitations of traditional eight ohm loudspeaker connections. So um, that that's a line worth looking at too, if you need a land ta- uh, landscape type of speaker. I don't know about you, Bob, but I see Rockoustic speakers everywhere. Like just everywhere. Like you you talk about like their, their diversity of, of color ranges. And yeah, I mean, once you notice and you know their design, you really see them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing that it's one of those type of speakers and there are other 
speaker types out there too, where you have planter speakers um, and a number of these outdoor audio companies will offer planter speakers too, where you can literally drop a plant into the top of it and the bottom is uh, a speaker and you can put that on on decks, you can put it on patios. So it's great for like restaurant spaces and whatnot. So many companies offer those type of uh, solutions too. Uh, but these, these rock speakers are great because unless you're looking for them, they're pretty unobtrusive. 